afternoon. How are good you doing today? Afternoon. I'm good. It's been a good week. Uh, it's not been too too cold. It's not been too like it's just it's finally nice. yeah. We I mean actually the sun was out today and it was a little deceptive because it was like minus thirteen out. But <laughs> um, but it's I, man I miss that sun. Yeah. Are you? Do you love the warmth? I'm. I'm a big like. I hate the winter. I got to be honest. I, I don't know why I live here. <laughs> <laughs> it's like the greatest place in the world, Halifax, Nova Scotia, most of the year. But then January, February, I just go. This is silly. Why did we build houses here and yes. do this? <laughs> and and <laughs> a little dramatic. And it seems like we've had like a big major storm, like every weekend since the new year started. It's true. And yeah, that's been that's been. At least, at least with the advantage that we have is that because the weather's so unpredictable, we might get you know buried with snow one weekend, but mm-hmm. then it's quite possible that by the next weekend, all that snow is melted. With, That's right. Uh, with warmer weather and with rain and such. Hopefully, by the time this podcast airs, given that we record a couple of weeks in advance, uh, maybe the weather will be nice and we'll be all you know. Happy. We're wearing our sunglasses yeah. and, and just living our living the dream. Now, speaking of recording in advance, uh, I just heard that by March 21st, if the plan keeps going, yes, the powers that be here in Nova Scotia have said that we'll lift all restrictions. So let's no see. Let's see if by the time this airs, that's the case. Exactly. Yeah. No distancing. No mask. No nothing. And I just thought. Man, Before be nice. we get into our topic for today, I just thought I would mention some things about wearing a mask that I'll I'll, I'll, I'll miss. That you'll miss? Okay. So the one is, you know, you ever, like, again, we're talking about winter and how it's been cold outside. Um, have you ever walked outside in the morning and maybe you have a ways to go to get to the bus stop or wherever? Um, I, I don't have to worry about that as much now because I just get in my car and drive down here, but... But, you know, you walk outside and, and, you know, it's a really cold day and like your boogers freeze. <laughs> yeah. Um, if I know wearing, what you mean. Yeah, you, yeah. I used to get that in Alberta all the time. Yeah. You live there because it, it, it's dry and it's cold and you'd breathe in and your nostrils and, yeah. are free shut. And yeah. So wearing a mask is a little bit of protection from that. But you were wearing your mask just outside? Walking I, not always, but when I have been, I've just found it's like nice and warmer on my face. Well, here's the thing. You get the option. You can still wear one. Yeah. It's no longer dead. That's what actually one of the good things that's come out of this is that I feel like now if you ever have a cold or something, you wear a mask and it's not like a weird thing to yeah. do. And it's yeah. a great practice. You don't think you're better you're, than anyone else. Yeah. You're just, you know, yeah. I'm taking care of myself. I'm taking care of you. Yeah. And that reminds me of the other thing that I'll miss. And mm-hmm. you might want to edit this out. I don't know. But, no, I like you know, it. you ever sitting around talking to people, you know, in a group and we're all wearing masks and you know what, from time to time, we're human beings. We have failures and limitations. Once in a while, you know, a little bit of a, a flatulation slips out, <laughs> right? And you're afraid, but oh, now all my friends are going to smell me. Exactly. Now no one will smell protect. my stench. That's, you know, I never thought about it, <laughs> but it's true. It's actually, that's not true. I have thought about it because that's definitely happened. And you're kind of going like, it's a good thing everyone around me is wearing a mask. Yeah, that's right. That's right. You don't have to be the one who's like, you it know. It escaped your pants. It can get through there too, man. Yeah. If someone, and then if someone notices then, and, and they say, oh, who, who tooted? You can be like. You know, whoever smelt it, dealt it. Well, I'm, I'm innocent. You <laughs> yeah, know. Exactly. Put your you mask know. on. Yeah. <laughs> exactly, yeah. What are you doing smelling people? Get that mask back on. So, yes, uh, I, as much as it's been a pain in the butt to wear masks, there are yeah. there have been a few advantages that I just thought it would only be fair to masks to mention. 
Well, again, let's hope let's hope that we're done with it by the time people yes. are listening to this and they're going masks. What are those? What, what, yes, let's. That was such a long time ago. That let's we had hasten those. that day. Let's hasten that day. Well, not at all a segue into our topic today. <laughs> Completely unrelated <laughs> is the idea of uh, farting and not smelling it because of your face mask. So <laughs> instead, what are we talking about today, Colin? We uh, this actually comes by uh, request. Yes, um, our, we um, got we our first some, request. To buy someone. Yeah, I'm, well, and I, should, I mean, some people have been emailing and kind of saying, oh, th- these are areas of interest, but somebody had requested that we would talk about, um, well, what is the debate between egalitarianism versus complementarianism? Now, we'll define those terms, but really it's a debate about, uh, uh, about the roles of people in ministry according to gender. So um, women in ministry, uh, women in leadership, and, uh, you know, and two men are going to talk about that today. <laughs> As appropriate. <laughs> As appropriate. Yeah. Well, I mean, you know, we, uh, we co-host the podcast, so I guess that's the case. But, yes. uh, um, but we have read many women scholars on the, on the topic. Absolutely. So I think that prepares us a little bit. Um, and it's, uh, and, and it's, well, it's, it's an ongoing debate in many circles and it, uh, and it seems to show up all the time, depending on, uh, depending on who you're talking to. And, um, uh, well, maybe we can begin with just a simple definition of, of what we mean, because those are two terms that not everybody might be familiar with, but, uh, but are worth, worth explaining. So why don't we begin? Colin, what is complementarianism? Uh, complementarianism, I think, comes from the old-fashioned patriarchal It comes view. from the Latin word for... No, okay, yeah. <laughs> yeah, no, I don't know that much Latin, actually. Um, but, it, you know, I think for like 2,000 years almost, yeah. with the exception, I think, of the first century church, uh, pretty much when you get to the second century onward, men were in charge of the church. Mm-hmm. And uh, this isn't necessarily entirely biblically, as we'll, as we'll talk about. Uh, this isn't necessarily the way God, God wanted it, but it's how it worked. And... For a long time, uh, this was how it was, and people didn't think twice about it. But then as I think women's liberation happened and women wanted to get the vote, women wanted to be able to work, women wanted to be able to do this and that, some of those f- proponents of this more conservative view of women that you know women have a different role than men and such pushed back but also wanted to do it in a bit more of a gentle and you know, less offensive way. So instead of sort of defending patriarchy, so to speak, they want, they wanted to get rid of that word patriarchy. And they decided to said instead that it's complementarianism, that men and women complement each other. They have different, they're, they're the, of equal value, but they have different roles that complement each other, mm-hmm. which was God bless complementarians. I mean, no offense, but I think in my oh, you're view... you're playing your hand right away. You're nay-nay you're, you're on the complementarian. Uh, uh, I, I do think it's a bit of a smokescreen kind of word. Right. Because I don't think it's necessarily very complimentary to say to a woman, you know, you're of equal value to me, but you can't be in charge of the church. Even right. if your gifts, your experience, your education is better than the men available... No, because you're a woman, you can't. Okay, well, that's that's why I asked you what, what your definition there Hot and diggity. how you'd like to put it down there, because I know... We've already started to offend people. <laughs> or really encourage others. Yes. So it depends on how you look at it. So, again, breaking down that definition, just give a clear sense. And, and, and you know, let's, let's just 
give the benefit of the doubt here. I mean, I want to uh, be clear that complementarians uh, are believe that men and women are of equal worth. Yep, kudos to them. That's good of on equal them. worth. We would agree with but that. But not equal in terms of particular roles, uh, and that men and women are distinct and different, and therefore fulfill different roles and should not uh, cross over those boundaries. Egalitarians, on the other hand. Uh, would begin with the same premise of men and women are both equal. That's where egalitarian then, comes from. Egalitarian means... Of equal, e- of equal, of equal yeah. worth, okay? But would go further and say that this also does... Th- this extends into uh, our roles within the church and even larger, more so within society. So men and women can be... You know, women can be CEOs, men can be stay-at-home dads, that's all, okay? That's embedded yes. in that idea. But particularly when we're talking about this debate, we are we need to begin with its context within the church. Um, there's a obviously a component of this where, based on that belief, it spreads into these other areas, but I think it's important to locate it uh, within the context of the question of women in ministry. That's mm. typically where this debate takes yes. place. And the question being, can women really be leaders of the church when there is seemingly biblical precedent against this? So maybe we can talk about, now that we've sort of defined what those two terms mean, let's just talk for a second about what the Bible has to say to support either one of these views. Um, do, you, do you have any verses that immediately come to mind for you as an egalitarian, as somebody who believes outright that the complementarian view is is out to lunch out to lunch yeah was that is that how you describe it would you say it's out to lunch i mean do you see any sort of uh um precedent to to what they're saying in some ways i like it's sort of i I mentioned this to you before we started recording that i think there's a a lot of similarity in this issue in this debate as there was uh in the 18th century in the states between those who were for slavery and those who were against it. Mm. Those who were for could quote biblical passages that seemed to support their view. Those who were against it could do the same. Although there was a fundamentally different way of looking at the Bible between the two views, but I mean, both were biblical views. And I think the same thing can be said about, about complementarian versus egalitarian uh, views. Uh, I think the issue is that I would say, and, and, I'm trying. I want as much as I disagree with complementarians. I want to be fair about what I think uh, they would say, and I, because I've known my fair share uh, of folks who have this view, um, I, I think they would pick and choose certain passages and kind of then wash their hands of the situation and say that there okay. it is. The Bible says it. I believe it. That's good enough. And they don't necessarily go deeper to say. Well, if that is true, what do we do about this passage? What do we do about this passage and try to harm, find a harmony? They right. would just sort of pick out a few kind of passages. Kind selective reading is what yes. you think is happening. So as far as egalitarian goes, I think one of the most key verses that we would uh, uh, quote uh, to say this really undergirds our views is Galatians 3.28. Right. Uh, and I think I have it on my notes here. Let me just... There is no slave or free, no you. male or female... All or yeah, one. I know, I know that, but I just wanted to make sure I was reading it right. But you just, one who had stole my thunder. That's Galatians three twenty eight. Come on, we all know that one. I do no, know it, but I just wanted to read it and be all proper. Right. It's fine, you said fine. it. <laughs> um, yeah. So the the idea being, and and of course, this is in Paul is saying this in the context of this argument he's having in Galatians, right? About 
the these folks that again older uh, older translations call the these Judaizers mm-hmm. that Paul is is arguing against. These Judaizers have come into the church. They're Jewish Christians who are sort of like Jewish supremacists in yeah. some ways <laughs> to say we've got it all together. You Gentiles. You're not really full members of the church until you right. start doing Jewish things, uh, getting uh, circumcised, obeying food laws, and the whole deal. And and Paul argues adamantly against this. And and so in the context, like Paul isn't he mentions men and women in in Galatians three twenty eight, but I mean the whole context of what he's talking about is more about you know Jew and Gentile. And clearly what he's saying in the context of the larger argument of Galatians is that there is no Jewish supremacy over Gentiles in the church. Jew and Gentile, as, right. as he says in Ephesians 2, have been made into one new humanity in the church, right? The right. two have become one, a very kind of marriage sort of image. Uh, Jesus tore down the wall that divided us, and now there's no more Jew and Gentile meaning that we're of equal value. Uh, a Gentile doesn't have to feel like I'm not in the fullness of truth because I'm not, you know, circumcised. I'm not, you know, I'm eating bacon or whatever. Oh, bacon. And so so there's things like 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 that that go into then when he's saying there's no male and female, he's saying as well, there's no male supremacy. You know, men are not of better worth than women. Again, I know complementarians would argue that as well. But well, yeah, in the I context, mean, he's saying there shouldn't be any distinction. You know, if there's no distinction between a Gentile and a Jew, you know, a man, a Gentile doesn't have to become a Jew. A Jew doesn't have to become a Gentile in order to be in the church. They're all just equal of value in one. He's saying the same, that, the, that there's a similar meaning then we can infer that he's saying about men and women and about slave and free folk. So I I I, uh, I do agree with your reading of that uh, in, to to that one just extent. Just shows you're not just a handsome but a wise man. Because <laughs> I agree, of course. Um, I, you agree but, about being handsome? Uh, <laughs> no, <laughs> comment, no comment. No comment. Um, I'm not going to call myself ugly, but yeah, I mean, you know, sure. I did get a haircut today. I feel you like did, I'm and right. it looks really good. First choice, baby. <laughs> <laughs> I don't pay more than twenty dollars for a haircut. Maybe we um, should get first choice to be a, a sponsor for us. Or something. Oh man, yeah, there we go. <laughs> What's their tagline? Anyway, you were saying about my interpretation. Uh, what I'm saying is that you uh, here, uh, Colin. I need to be upfront, and I know that. So again, this is another one of these topics that you're you're quite passionate about, and I and I, I am I don't too. know if I'm passionate about. Well, anything. but I I'm, think I'm a very staid. Yeah, you know, but I, but you know, well, if you you know you have this, you're, you're saying the complementarians are out to lunch, and and hey, fair with, enough. With, I think with, I think a good majority of them are with God's love. With God's love, I I want to start by saying, from my own standpoint, I don't like this debate at all. <laughs> I don't like the binary between egalitarian and complementarian, as though it is. Um, one or the other. As though it is one or the other. There are definitely other ways forward with it. Now, if you want my opinion on, I, I, I support women in ministry. So already I'm an egalitarian in that sense, and I'm fine with that. And the complementarians who think I'm wrong about that can, uh, can debate me on it. That's fine. Um, but this also, I think, I think egalitarians, if, if that's a title you want to attribute to some, you know, to a group of people, um, it, it, there is a theology that uh, that it, it needs to protect itself also, or it needs to be careful in terms of what it's saying or what the outgrowth of, you know, are we really eradicating 
the idea that there is any difference between men and women on that regard, I don't think that's the case. And, and that's been a common argument that complementarians will push back on egalitarians to say, right. by with all this talk of equality, you egalitarians are saying that there's no difference between men and women. So, like, so yeah, exactly. Not and, necessarily so. And so but, when you're talking about the, the Galatians 3.28, for instance, I think it's quite easy for a complementarian to, we'll say at this point, rightly, uh, be able to say, but there are also passages in which Paul explicitly calls for the subjugation of women. And you might not like that term, maybe that's the wrong term. And what we need to talk about is, I think, how we are reading those passages. But First Timothy, what is it, First Timothy 11? Um, no, that's right, I have it written there. First Timothy 2, 11 to 13. See, you're, right? you got notes too. Yeah, it's and true. I let you look at your notes. I got that. <laughs> That'd be the main place, right? Yeah. <laughs> yes. Okay, college. <laughs> I knew Galatians three twenty eight on the top of my head. I didn't get the First Timothy one. Uh, it's all um, good. Uh, but the First Timothy uh, uh, two eleven and thirteen. Uh, so much of the debate revolves yes. around verses like this, at least, that say women should be silent in the church, and and so you do obviously have places where Paul is just saying. This is how it is. Or at least it seems like he's saying that's just how it is. Well, I mean, I would say, I, yeah, <laughs> yeah, I hear what you're saying. I don't, I don't think it's a, like, it doesn't seem like that's what he's saying. That is what he's saying. But he's also saying that within a specific context to a specific people. And what it assumes, I think, of the Bible is that when the Bible, certainly with Paul especially, makes certain ethical mandates, that that has nothing to do with a situation and that that perhaps this is just some eternal law of all time. I don't believe that ethics is that simple. I don't believe that biblical ethics is that simple. I believe that's the very kind of ethic that Jesus challenged when it became static, it became pharisaical. And he was mm -hmm. saying, you're reading this as though it is... Uh, as though it is this way once and for all time rather than it being a law of love and it, and it corresponds to certain things. What I mean by that is there is a way of reading the text in which you can say, well, first of all, you look at that passage in 1 Timothy. Is Paul saying women should always be silent in the church or is what he's saying is for the time being, what I'm asking is that women be silent in this church and in this context? And I think it's important for you, for you to say that because... If you just took these two passages, Galatians three twenty eight, and First uh, Timothy two eleven to twelve, did you say? Yes. Um, if you put them together, Paul's saying one thing and then another thing, right? It and that's seems, what, and that's my only know, challenge to maybe what right. you were just saying is that okay, yeah, there is no male or female, there is no uh, slave or free, Jew or Gentile. Okay, that all needs to be brought into the rest of Scripture. That's also saying these other things. How do we yes. how do we balance it all out? And I think there's a coherency there. I do think it makes sense. Um, but that is that is a that is a debate that doesn't have an easy answer either. Is that are we reading the Bible with this sense of almost like a progressive revelation, a progressive ethic? Uh, you know, I, I've heard pastors use the argument, and 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 I like this argument where you would say, even as an egalitarian, if you were to go set up churches in the middle of like fundamentalist Muslim Afghanistan and you manage to do some mission work there and actually get a church off the ground, is the first thing that you're going to do is make women leaders in that church? Probably not. Yes. Now, it has nothing to do with the fact that you believe that women shouldn't be leaders of the church, but it does have to do with the fact that you are sensitive to a sort of cultural understanding that maybe is not quite at that place yet. And so 
let's move into another biblical source on this because I think it helps well, inform well, the well, debate. Before we before we go there, can you just put a, a pin on that for a moment? Yeah, sure. Because I just wanted to say something about uh, what uh, that that passage from Timothy. Uh, I think how it's translated makes a, a big factor yeah. because there are some scholars such as N.T. Wright who would argue that the word translated as I do not uh, allow a woman to, to, yeah. to have power over a man is actually the idea of more to usurp power uh, over a man. Like the idea right. is not just to have power. Paul's mm-hmm. not just saying women should never have power over men uh, or authority over a man. He's saying a woman shouldn't take authority from a man, so to speak. Mm-hmm, uh, mm-hmm. A woman shouldn't be like, "Get step aside, you you man," and and I'm gonna I'm gonna be in charge here. That's right. there. And and again, that's just the tip of the iceberg. But I, I say I say that and just mention that to say that there is um, a, a tendency among Bible translators, mm-hmm. you know, the, uh, were that are they are influenced by previous translations. Right. Right. And so unless they're really convinced there's a different way to translate it, they'll just go along with what a previous translation. Yeah, I think a lot of a lot of work in this area has been done at the at the sort of textual New Testament study level of like like looking just at the Greek words, how they're how they're parsed. What's the grammar there? I mean, I remember that being one of the main arguments that I was first introduced to for the egalitarian view of just saying this is conditional. This has nothing to do with with you know it is I'm I am not currently permitting is actually the way that they've uh, they've set out the grammar, and I think this is what I wanted to say about the the biblical uh, precedent for for either side is that when I read the Bible, I am struck by its radical egalitarianism across the board. Absolutely. I think before its focus is on let's say role and subordination of any kind. It is the most radically egalitarian thing you can imagine within the context. From page one. And I think that's, you know, we had talked on a previous podcast about Tom Holland. I think when he, you know, him writing about Rome and its history and its cultural ethics, and then what the Christian church is as a bombshell in the middle of that, uh, in the middle of that sort of ethos, that whether we read Paul now in a much different lens, because there are, you know, I know a lot of feminists and others who are, who are really bothered by Paul and, and we can sympathize with that. I mean, I, we talked about it in the first episode, but I think if you're really trying to scratch the surface of this, it's impossible to deny that Paul is one of the most radically egalitarian figures in history. I mean, he changes. It's, I mean, it's incredible. Um, it's much easier, I think, to say that about Jesus himself. Paul is where things get icky, it seems, because all of a sudden he's making these actual, whether they're conditional or not, he's making mandates that that express something that we're uncomfortable with. But I think we need to recognize the, ma- the, the manner in which this is insanely progressive for... Uh, for its time and for what it's saying, and hence the 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 way in which you can read the Bible in maybe that more progressive manner that says, even though he's saying this, it it is premised on the way in which the church must form itself within this culture, right? I mean, even when even when Paul talks about marriage, he talks about it in the sense of uh, 
you know, it is better that you remain single, but if you burn with lust, you can do this. It's, it's more of a permissive sense in which it's like, okay, maybe for the time being, here's how we make things work. Now that might be my personal argument and I'm sure people could come against that. But my reading of this would, of Paul specifically, would situate itself more within the idea that this isn't the ultimate goal of what we're reaching towards as mm. can be seen from verses like Galatians 3.28. His goal is not that men should dominate over women, but he is saying right now, given the, given the sort of cultural framework, let's say, if that's appropriate, um, women need to listen to your husbands and let them lead in this way. Yeah. Now, the complementarian is obviously going to fight back, I think, and, and say that there are distinct differences between men and women that might make for those roles to just make sense. And I don't, this is why I don't really like the debate is because I'm not really trying to push back fully on that, but I certainly am pushing back on the idea that those are some rigid static lines in which this is always the case. Yes. And, and this is, it becomes a debate about, uh, you know, a big $5 word here, ontology, which ontology, when it refers to the nature of our being, right? When complementarians hold that it is within human nature that women are subordinate to men, you have a major problem, in my opinion. Absolutely. And it is not women's nature, I think, to be submissive, which is where this ends up going. And I think, you know, anybody who listened to um, uh, the podcast, we've talked about it before, but uh, the rise and fall of Mars Hill. You know, Mark Driscoll set up a church on the basis of such an ontology, on uh -huh. the basis of women should be subordinate. This is family values. This is how you build the church. And yes. look at what it produced. Now, I'm not saying that egalitarians are just off scot-free and if we all, and I can talk about that a little bit more, but I won't go there just yet. But, you know, th there are parameters to what is appropriate there as well. And I think a respect for the differences between men and women still needs to maintain itself. Absolutely. Even within the egalitarian framework. But I constantly see in complementarian churches, uh, Rarely have I seen it work out healthily in the long run. Rarely have I seen it not turn into misogyny and and uh, you know lording, patriarchy, pa patriarchy yeah. lording powers over over women. And, and that's directly against the way of Christ, right? To lord over. I mean, Jesus said it himself when when James and John were like. And, yeah. and the other disciples are arguing about, you know, who's the best. And, and Jesus is like, whoever's the best is the servant of everyone else. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, the Gentiles, the Romans, they love to lord it over each other. Right. They love to tell each other what to do. But that's not how it's to be with you. It's not how to be with us. Because even Jesus himself, again, Philippians 2, and in, in Jesus' words, even in that same passage, I came to serve, not to... Mm -hmm to be served. So this goes back to, and, and I think it was even touched on in our Just War Pacifism podcast as well, that this idea of living in the state of sin creates certain conditions that might be appropriate for us to live in, certain hierarchies, but that those aren't effectively the ultimate goal of what, certainly what God wants in his in his perfected kingdom. Right. And so Not plan A. So I think going back to the debate where complementarians and egalitarians sort of like one of the key verses that they would debate about goes all the way back to Genesis. Okay. Genesis 2.18 is where, you know, uh, um, Eve is, is the helper 
to Adam. Okay. And so, and then, and then they would even argue maybe the order of creation, right? Okay. Uh, Eve is made. Paul from the makes rib. that argument in second C- couple of things that I would, eight? yeah, second Corinthians eight. A couple of, of things I would want to talk about though, in regard to that is, is first of all, the idea of subjugation and language of man over woman does not occur until later on in the narrative, yes. right? Does not occur until the fall. Yeah. Um, before that, when you are talking about, I mean, there, there are a couple of key arguments that have been used that I think are quite uh, effective from the egalitarian camp, at least in battling the complementarian view of this, that in Genesis 2.18, for instance, the idea that somehow saying that Eve is the helper of Adam Puts designates a- some sort of hierarchical sense. The only other figure named as a helper of Adam in Genesis is God. <laughs> Exactly. <laughs> so God is not subordinate to Adam in any sort of way Absolutely. whatsoever. So it doesn't mean that, for one. That's right. Um, so again, it, interpretation, the cultural assumptions that you have when you're reading the text mm-hmm. is so important. And the cultural uh, assumptions that the translators have as well has right. a huge factor on the text. Which leads to the next maybe clear one, which is Eve is made out of Adam's rib, right? Is a translation or the way that... But again, what are we imagining when we think of that? Is Are we thinking that Eve is made literally out of this, like a rib of... That's not what the word means. The word actually refers to really Adam's half, like a full half of Adam is made into... A, so it's like the thing that completes him. You know, yes. it is the actual... Uh, I, I've heard it described, you know, when they say rib, it'd be like ordering a half rack of ribs. <laughs> like it's right. like the one uh, side, and this is the other side would make the whole. Okay. Yes. So it is not some derivative, less than sort of thing. It's actually the language that's being used is there to demonstrate, in fact, their equality. Yeah. Um, that, there's a lot of uh, scholars, who interpreters of Genesis, who would say that the human being in Genesis 2, before he's differentiated by by the creation of Eve it's like it's it's not, he's not necessarily Adam before that he's the human being the, mm-hmm. the earthling very mm-hmm. literally right, right and then, yeah right and then Anthropos, a sexless the, being yeah. and then it's with the creation of Eve not only is is Adam or is Eve created but Adam is changed right and now yeah, great point now actually, the human yeah. being is now two that was one. And then through marriage, the right. two become one again, so to speak. So I think the if, language... If you know what I'm saying, wink, wink, nudge, nudge, <laughs> say no more. Because <laughs> it's wink, a family nudge. show. Yeah, that's right. But yeah. I, I, but that's a great point to make. And again, the language of sort of, you know, Adam, humanity, you know, before you're getting into gender division and things like that, I think. So, so again, this language of subjugation, again, it doesn't come till later. I think that's, that's right. important. And I think sometimes those, uh, those arguments are being made and they're looking for evidence for things that are just not there in that text. So, uh, that doesn't exist. Um, the, maybe the next point to bring up, and again, I, you know, here I am battling, I think more for the egalitarian side of things and, Sure, sure enough, I am, uh, <laughs> even though I don't, I'm, I'm trying to at the same time battle this idea of a, of a binary distinction that's so clear cut. But um, the next is the idea that women are constantly figures of, uh, and constantly in leadership positions throughout the Bible, old and new. Mm. Uh, you certainly see this in the New Testament. 
Um, and there, you know, there are a number of leaders that you can name. Uh, Chloe can, can, was the leader of a church in. Can I, can I list you some? Oh yeah, some do you names have do you have of, a list there? Uh, Priscilla, women who are who are prophets specifically. Prophets, so, so the idea of being a prophet specifically in the Bible. Yep. There's Miriam, Exodus fifteen twenty, Deborah, Judges four four, Huldah, Second Kings twenty two fourteen, and Second Chronicles thirty four twenty two. Uh, Noah, Noadia, I'm not exactly sure how to pronounce that. Nehemiah 6.14. Isaiah's wife was mm-hmm. a prophet. Um, Isaiah 8.3. Anna from the the temple, that uh, birth narrative. They bring uh, Adam, and, Adam and Eve. Uh, Mary and Joseph bring Jesus <laughs> to the temple. and Similar. And, <laughs> and both, yeah, and both Anna and Simeon, uh, a man and a woman that they meet in the temple, are both referred to with the same Greek word meaning prophet. Right. Uh, so she's a prophet, and Philip's daughters are prophets. Mm-hmm. But yeah, you're absolutely right. You were also mentioning folks uh, like Phoebe and and so on from yeah. From, so is I, yeah. and just to say that yeah, there are there are multiple women who it seems yeah. from the biblical narrative who are in these leadership positions, leading churches themselves. So yes. I think that's that's another area just to pay attention to. And I, again, that debate has been. You know, how good is the evidence for that? And I mean, but that even gets into ridiculous places where some people argue that the names aren't even feminine names. <laughs> They're yes, actually referring like, to men. Like you're talking about Junia. <laughs> Junia, right? that was the Junia most recent, one, right? Yeah, Junia is a not huge really issue. a female. It's a male. It's um, like, who, why are we splitting hairs over this? I think it's it's kind of clear that, that women obviously held places of yeah. prominence. Not can, to mention can, can women are the first it? ones to proclaim the resurrected body of Jesus. That's right. Can that's we nerd out a little bit about Junia for, for a moment? Because sure, I think that's huge. Junia. Oh, so, yeah, that, that there's actually... Yeah. You're right. It's important so, that there is a major debate with complementarians. There is a debate about this. Maybe not a really major important. debate, but there is a debate. So uh, Romans 16, 7 says, uh, Greet Andronicus and Junia, my fellow Jews, who have been imprisoned with me. They are outstanding among the apostles. They were in Christ before I was. So that's Paul speaking in that chapter of uh, Romans 16, where he's addressing all these people. So he's saying that there's Junia, which, again, this is debated, but I think most scholars would say it's a woman's name. Uh, some trans- translators yep. have, have made it a man's name just out of their own cultural assumption that he can't be talking about a woman who is an apostle. Like, you know, um, yeah, well, that's exactly when there's all kinds of evidence in the Greco Roman world that there was many women named Junia, Mm -hmm. uh, in extra biblical sources and like maybe one, if any, uh, example of someone named Junius is in a man named with that name, uh, in it. Um, and then, the, so that's the one argument: is is Junia a man or a woman? And I think the 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 weight of evidence is that she's a woman. Uh, Junia, female name. Junius. There's only one, and even that's debated. Mm-hmm. Uh, even though it was often translated as Junius, because Bible translators just think a woman can't be an apostle. So I think what the, what's important to take from this, though, is the fact that there is actually a debate that went sure. on. That would try and argue th- that Junia could not be a woman, yes, simply because she's a woman. Absolutely, and that that name has to be. Ma- I mean, it, to me, that just shows the 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 degree to which people are willing to sort of white knuckle their 
yes. uh, their belief that this is just shouldn't be the case or that it fits with the rest of Scripture the way they're reading it. Yeah, and again, um, it shows a, a clash as well between our um, biases and what the Bible actually says. Right. So we read the Bible, you know, and people who understand Greek or whatever are reading it and they're going, that can't be right. But here's, here's where now, after we've geeked out on Junia, where I maybe like to throw the dog a bone here um, and, and to say that, that the complementarian side of things isn't without any support. And really what I'm arguing or what I've been trying to say by, by, by not making such a clear distinction is that uh, the egalitarian framework at the same time also also has to be careful in terms of where it draws its boundaries and what are we really saying if we all of a sudden say that there are no specific roles that are better or worse for women. I mean, I think it's important, for instance, to to recognize that the complementarian view is is quite widely held. I think when you and I talk about it, we immediately think of like the Southern Baptists, John Piper and and John MacArthur and and that ilk. Those and, aren't some great uh, people to to refer to. God bless them. They're my brothers in Christ. I think I, I think they're the ones that, though who are holding like, a, a poisonous there's, view of this. There's, absolutely right, like, and that, and that's the view lot, that we're fighting against quite easily. Uh, you know, that I would advocate for. No, I, I'm, yeah, I wouldn't either. Um, I don't agree with their theology almost down to its core. <laughs> um, but, and, and you know... To the degree that we all agree with the Pro- Apostles' Creed is probably about as much as we could say. Sure. But, any but I wrestle with the idea that there. I could share a communion with Whew. them. I do. Anyway, I interrupted you. Forgive uh, me. Uh, no, it's okay. I think I, I just want to say that's who we're, that's, I think, who we have in our sights when we're yes. talking about this. But complementarianism is also held in Roman Catholicism. It's held in a lot of Reformed churches. It's held by the Mennonites. It's held by, you know, you, you come out of a background that has had as historically sided with this. Yeah. Um, uh, when I was in Bible college, my denomination, my old denomination, the Evangelical Missionary Church, was making a, a shift from more of a complementarian view to a egalitarian mm-hmm. view. So, so I remember, you know, there'd be debates among students and professors about this. Yeah, for and sure. So, yeah. so let me frame it in the way that I think it's important to, to discuss it. And it has a lot to do with the idea of hierarchy, mm. because I think that what ends up happening, if I can critique the egalitarian side of things, is that what comes with this idea that, that you know, um, men and women can sort of interchange in all different roles. There is no necessary role that they need to be, and I would I would agree. There is no necessary. It doesn't necessitate. They are not by nature needing to be in one of these one or two things. Absolutely. It doesn't mean that they aren't different, and it doesn't mean that there aren't proclivities towards certain areas. What ends up happening in the egalitarian world is that all hierarchy is seen as bad basically, on its far end, at its extreme. If it's not careful, it runs into, I think, this problem of thinking that hierarchy just needs to go. And I don't think that's correct. I think the biblical worldview sustains hierarchy in a way that it, it may invert it, it may subvert certain hierarchies, but it doesn't view hierarchy only as just some patriarchal top-down power structure in yes. the way that it's imagined. So and just because the conservative view is... It, it really emphasizes hierarchy more saying that men are, should be in charge of women or whatever. Like an egalitarian shouldn't come along and say, well, now let's throw everything there. You know, yeah. let's throw out the idea of there should be leaders and there should be different levels of, of leadership. And so part of the, the reason church, I don't like the I debate is because that. of the reactionary way in which yeah. 
you know, once once you had third wave feminism rising up in in more radical forms, then you had the John Pipers and the and the Wayne Grudems and that world of people, Al Mohler, you know, all reacting conservative reactionary, you know, uh, conservatives reacting to this and making this far more, you know, uh, solidified Stringent. stance on biblical womanhood and manhood yes. and what that means. Um, I don't like reactionary debates in that way. Absolutely. Um, and I think that's where you're, but I you're, think what they were pushing yeah. back on, I don't agree with their stance, but I also agree that maybe what they were pushing back on was pernicious, that there was a rise of something that was going on that was going, that, that was, that was fundamentally missing something of our true natures and yes. the way in which that we, we can, we can complement each other. Right. Yeah. And that's where that word And that's comes the from. danger of binaries, right? Is that we can, uh, two extremes, or, or I, I just kind of said it, two sides of an argument can tend to go further and further apart into mm-hmm. more and more, Right. unhealthy extremes that's that's our that's our human nature right well, yeah. the more you argue this the more i'm going to argue the other uh, yeah, exactly. and I'm, and, yeah. and, and where, where we used to be closer but just on different levels but we're at least closer now we kind of are out here and that's not necessarily a healthy no situation one of the one of the maybe the uh, key theologians who has uh, helped shape my opinion on this is a woman named Mary Douglas. Mm. Mary Douglas is a Catholic uh, theologian philosopher and uh, she's the one who directed me I, I I initially began reading her actually uh, on on ritual and symbol in society mm. very interesting conversations about the importance of symbol and ritual within, within, you know, just what creates cultural, um, ethics and morality and how ritual is very important to our lives. And as a Catholic writer, obviously she's writing from that standpoint, but she had a number of things on hierarchy that, that brought me to this where she, Catholics are big on hierarchy. And well, and I think importantly, and this is where I, this is where I agree with her to the, to some degree. And what I'm saying is hierarchy when it is demonized and seen as, only a bad thing and we need to eradicate hierarchies that also fails to see a biblical precedent for uh you know there is no subordination within the trinity let's say it's not what which you is up, an important point to make we should maybe get back to that because that you know that could be a there's a, there have always view. been views of, of yes. monarchical views of the trinity and the idea of the subordination of the son right is right. the son at all subordinate to God the Father. Which is not a traditionally right? Christian view. No, that's why the creed says co-equal in majesty, co-equal in unity. But um, but the, the idea that hierarchy is somehow eradicated is not true. When Jesus says the first will be last and the last will be first, somebody's still first in that equation. Right. Okay. So it, it's... It's the, just a radical redefinition of what it means to be in leadership or have authority. Exactly. And I think that's what Mary Douglas was trying to point to. And one of the things that she says that, that caught me was... When you eradicate hierarchy, you also create an individualism, which leads to competition. Mm. And so the very tyranny of patriarchy that you see within hierarchy that that us egalitarians, if you want to call us that, are arguing against and going like the complementarian worldview is just too, it doesn't, it doesn't really get this. It also has to be careful of opening up its own tyranny in which families themselves are constantly in competition for leadership. Hmm. I don't think it's a problem to have a family household that agrees to the idea that there is a certain headship with the male. Yes. Okay. That that idea in itself is not inherently 
flawed. As if the hierarchy involves a respect for the quote-unquote lowest within the, you know, within the structure, um, Mary Douglas would argue that that can function perfect, not only perfectly well, but it's preferred. I think, I think you can look to social studies as well and say there is clearly a problem in certain communities where the absence of fathers is is a is a definite reality leading to destruction. I mean, mm. and if we don't pay attention to that, we fail to we fail to do justice to the children of those communities. Um, I, I I would hope egalitarians would pay attention to things like that. Yes. So the language of egalitarianism, when it's couched in the context of women in ministry, that's one thing. But we have to recognize that these titles expand and move into all the areas of our lives, and we start to we start to define people by them. Yes. I mean, this is where, like, complementarianism, like I said, it's a debate about ontology. If you think that this is about the nature, the fundamental nature about men and women, you're going to have a view that extends far beyond just can a woman preach in a church yeah it also is going to go down as far as like can a woman be a drill sergeant can they yeah you know can they vote and if they can vote should their husbands be telling them what to vote these are real questions that people in those backgrounds have if you you know yeah if you if you follow that line of reasoning right then any anything is so i think if you begin with more the biblical ontological sense that is radically egalitarian that says we are all created in the image of God. We are all of equal worth and of yes. equal value, which, and I know the complementarian is saying that as well, but then designating, I, I just think it's far harder to maintain yeah. within that framework. And yet, and yet what I, <laughs> this is my difficulty is that I'm saying yet I believe men and women complement each other. Yeah. I think what I mean by saying men and women can still complement each other is that we have to pay attention to the fact that there is still a by and large sense in which men and women are different. And the problem that I think people get into is they can't, they can't take that expression and see the, the shadings on the side or on the fringe. It's like saying, it's like saying uh, men are better athletes than women. Like that's a very general, broad, vague statement because uh, maybe in terms of biology and muscle mass and things like that, men are better at sports. I am not a better athlete than Catherine St. Clair. I am not. There's just no chance I'd beat her in a game of soccer even if I tried for years, <laughs> okay? Um, uh, and somebody might want to debate that, but I think the point is is you, you have a by and large case by and large, men and women are different. I think they're by and large also more similar than they are different. Okay, that's something we don't talk enough about is the fact that that medded women are, let's just say, almost exactly the same on most things they look at, but they are different. And they are, are, I want to maintain the fact that those distinctions are real. And I sometimes think egalitarians can lose that entirely. Mm. and, And I'm not for that. That said, there's going to be a certain model that will work that does look rather complementarian. My issue is not in saying that men and women can't complement each other. My issue is in saying that this necessitates by nature that women should only ever be in this place and men should only ever be in this place. God has created us for freedom, okay? For freedom's sake, you have been made free, it says. Preach it. Okay? I I can't live within those boxes and yet i don't want to lose the plot 
I don't want to go into the egalitarian extremism that says there's just absolutely no distinction. Anybody can do everything they want and there is no model which we need to follow. I think by and large, it's good to heed that advice when it becomes legalistic, when it becomes, this is the mandate, this is the only way it can go. And therefore church leadership should always follow the sense in which women should not be pastors or leaders. I think you're getting into real trouble. And I, and I will just say from personal experience, I remember experiencing this firsthand when I met who is the now president of Acadia Divinity College, Anna Robbins, who is an absolutely brilliant scholar and a fantastic speaker and a great leader of that organization. If she's watching, go Anna. Um, <laughs> but, uh, but then was running up against these small communities in rural New Brunswick who wouldn't let her speak at her, their church because women shouldn't be leaders. And it's just like, do you know who she is? Like, I, I just couldn't understand that. And to, and to hold on to that, um, that mentality is, is, uh, is just uh, archaic. It's just wrong. And at the same time, to, to say that doesn't suddenly mean that, that somehow somebody like Anne is no longer a woman and that, <laughs> and that there isn't a difference between a man and a woman in that sense. So Absolutely. I just, that's, that's a fine point I'd want to make on that. I think something that's really important with what you were just saying, and we mentioned it, was that our first podcast when we were talking about some people wanted to throw Paul out? Or it's one yeah, of our podcasts right, yeah. we looked at, yeah. we, we were talking about not that long ago, was that I think the challenge that we have, we really have to make sure we're understanding the ancient context in which uh, so many things happen, uh, because we lose the, as you said uh, really well, we lose the impact of what the Bible is actually saying, unless we understand what what was going on in that cultural context in which those mm -hmm. biblical writers with the inspiration of the Holy Spirit are saying certain things. Like, if you've ever actually read, like, the, uh, a lot of people push back on Paul's, um, uh, what's the word for it, you know, when he's talking about men and women, slaves and free, and children and, and parents in, like, Ephesians and Galatians, what is that called? Like a household code, excuse me. Oh, okay. I, fi I finally figured it out, what, what I'm trying to say. <laughs> those household codes, a lot of, uh, again, modern people read those and are just disgusted by them, and, no, and they just push back against Paul. That's one of the reasons I think why people reject Paul. Mm. But if you were to, to compare what Paul says and, and really take a good close look at Paul, what Paul says, not just be offended by what it sounds like he's saying and actually look what he's saying, and you compare that to Aristotle, who I think he's riffing off of. Paul is is sure. is using the same format that Aristotle spoke of. Yeah, you know, Aristotle also had a household culture. He talks about how how is a woman supposed to treat her husband? How is a child supposed to treat the the yeah. pater familia, the the head of the household? Right. You know, how are slaves? You know, and and the, those three categories are prevalent there. But but he. But Aristotle is absolutely brutal in how he talks about how women, children, and slaves are pretty much not even human. Yeah, uh, um, yeah And completely. whereas what you, you read what Paul says, yes, the man is the head of the household. Then he describes that. He defines that as you're the head of the household in the same way that Christ is the head of the church, meaning yeah. you are subservient. You are taking off your outer garments and washing your disciples' feet like Jesus did, right? And he even uses the exact term, uh, Cynthia Westfall, who's a, a big influence on me in this area. She wrote a fantastic book called Paul and Gender. Mm -hmm. um, uh, you know, she, she points out 
um, when when Paul says, you know, uh, Christ loved the church and he he bathed her and clothed her in in garments that were pure and stuff like that. He's talking about woman's work. Uh, he's talking about female maid's work, right? Uh, so the uh, the head right, of the house, yeah, yeah. Paul is saying, is going to treat his wife the way her female maid treats her, right? Which mm, I mean, cool. you, if you're if you're an ancient man, you're gonna think, no, no way, Paul. No what the heck are you talking yeah, about, yeah, yeah. right? So, but we don't read that. We don't we don't get that. We just hear yeah. these roles are being defined by Paul, and he must be for the hierarchy. Yeah, it's true. Life. I think I think we the 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 sayings that put us at you know unease when Paul says women be silent or something far they end up overshadowing all of this other stuff that he's saying. I mean, one of the conversations that reminds me of is we only typically talk about it when we're talking about sex, but when he says like your body is not yours, <laughs> you know, yes, <laughs> to say that to a man to be like your body is your wife's yeah belongs to her now you know and, and like hers to yours and your, you know uh, yeah, vice that's versa but radically countercultural for the greco-roman day because yeah, a crazy. man in greco-roman times could have sex with whoever he wanted to right a man it's, or a woman or whatever the like, and it is why it become it's always been i think one of the main new testament apologetic uh, you know when you talk about like uh, uh, evidence for the resurrection and stuff one of the main apologetic uh, points that is always made is Women's testimony was the one given in the Bible. That's not a small deal. Like That's right. It, it wouldn't have been permissible in a court of law. So That's right. the fact that they gave prominence there. Now, I, does that validate the ways in which uh, women should be leaders in the church? Obviously, the, the, the conversation needs to go deeper than that. But I think it is far too uh, stark a contrast to, you know, or it's far too um, simplistic to just put it in these black and white patterns. I want to also talk about the fact that I think it changes also depending on your ecclesiology, your church structure, mm. how you do church. One of the reasons why I think complementarianism looks a lot different in the Roman Catholic Church, for instance, and I'm not a Roman Catholic, I can't really speak to this, but you know, the idea of only male priests in the, in the Catholic priesthood strikes me as quite different than what's being said by a John MacArthur in the Southern Baptists. Yeah, I think that's true. And one of the reasons why, I'll just say, you know, at least to me from the outsider perspective, and I, you know, if a Catholic's watching, you can correct me or or tell me what else I should read. Um, But one of the things that strikes me is, again, the way the church performs its ritual, the way it does its liturgy, the priest is supposed to be a representation of Christ. Now, you might be able to say that there's an androgyny there that's completely permissible, but the fact that Jesus is a man, I think, also has import, okay? We shouldn't ignore that. And that the priest is mimicking who Jesus is in that ceremony means that it's a man doing it. Now, I'm not saying that justifies all the, but you can no, see but you where can immediately understand the logic puts, you there. can understand the logic. It makes an angle. It, 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 it gives you a different angle for looking at it and a yeah. way in which that's now how that looks all the way down that that's subject to something yeah. else. But it also, it also then you kind of go like, why does complementarianism look so much different in the Roman Catholic church than it does say in the Southern Baptist convention. Yes. And some might say it's not, I, I think it is also has to do with their approach to scripture Mm. and what we've been talking about and the way that you read scripture in a certain way, in a certain light. I think fundamentalism and biblicism on the, on the evangelical right wing, let's say reinforces ideas where it's, it's, you know, they give lip service to the idea that women are of equal worth 
and that we just have different roles. But ultimately, it doesn't turn out that way. Mm. It just doesn't. I haven't seen it. Right. And uh, and that's a really good point. And I want to riff off of that for a moment and say, like, one of my biggest criticisms of complementarian uh, ism is, I mean, they'll they'll couch what they're saying in biblical terms and quote, you know, First Timothy two and stuff like that to back up what they're saying. But I, again, I think one of the challenges there is that it's it's there's something else going on beyond just we want to interpret the Bible well. Mm-hmm. Uh, and this is, again, very clear when you look at how they pick and choose what what passages to interpret and take literally and take really strongly. Right. Um, so just a few verses before uh, that famous passage where Paul says, I don't allow a woman to have authority over a man. Uh, Paul says, uh, men should, should um, you know, be gentle and full of joy, raising their hands for prayer. Do, does every church tradition, does John McCarthy, yeah. MacArthur, <laughs> McCarthy, big John McCarthy, he's, he's, <laughs> does, does, uh, you know, d- the does UFC, the Southern Baptist church is all, do all the men raise their hands yeah, right. when they're praying? Do women wear um, head coverings? For do instance. women wear head coverings? Do, um, do women, again, just a few, a bit before in first Timothy two as well is the, you know, women shouldn't wear jewelry or yeah. uh, expensive clothes. Well, and that's why their arguments are always are always trying to expand on a more, you know, they're looking at a, a larger biblical theme, and that's why they're trying to go back to Genesis. I don't think the support is there for it, but that's why yeah. they would probably argue for the, you know. But again, if you're saying the Bible yeah. says it, that's, you know, good enough for me. Well, then the Bible says a lot of things. Why isn't that good enough for you? Yeah, right. Why is it okay right. for your women to walk into church with, jewels, uh, fancy hair and expensive clothes, yeah. even though that's against what Paul says, but, it, but, you know, Lord forbid you let her, you know, preach from the pulpit. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Right. And I think that points to a criticism that Jesus made of the Pharisees in Matthew 25, I think it is where he says, you're, 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 you know, focused on these small details of the word about how much you should tithe. And yet you're missing out on the larger issues of scripture Mm -hmm. about justice and mercy and such. And I think that's ultimately, you know, the criticism here. Uh, I want to just quote Martin Luther King just briefly here, and I've got it in my notes. Please do. Uh, Martin Luther King was talking about, you know, in, in his famous letter from uh, the Birmingham jail, uh, is talking about what's what, what's an unjust law and what's a just law. And he says, an unjust law is a code that a numerical or power majority compels a minority group to obey, but does not make binding on itself. And I think that's exactly what complementarianism is doing. It's we are the male majority. We've been running the church for hundreds of years. And now we're going to dictate to women what they mm-hmm. can do or what they can't. Right. You can't lead. We can you know, we're not going to make this rule binding on ourselves. And just by, by nature, that's, that's an, it's a, it's an unequal thing, which as you said, the Bible is profoundly egalitarian, Mm -hmm. you know, not only does, does, you know, God say to the Israelites, you know, not only does God free the Israelites from uh, slavery in Egypt, but then he goes on to say to them, you be kind to the foreigners in your country because, you were foreigners in Egypt, right? Yeah, that's right. Go, like, there's when a I say profound that it, it, egalitarianism yeah, yeah. It, all the way through. It goes way the beyond Bible. just gender roles. That's at that right. Point. I'm talking about and, egalitarianism, in terms and they're of missing equal. out on this basic idea. And and and, and again, any time a majority group says to a, a minority group, uh, you know, one group that has more power says to a group that has less power, this is what you should be doing. Yeah. 
to me that's that's warning warning yep um for yep. sure and so yeah that's that's a big issue for me mm-hmm. i agree and i i think this is where yeah i i mean we, I, maybe one context to to raise just in in a closing here is that you know within the Wesleyan context that we are speaking in, um, uh, because this is a a podcast brought to you by a Wesleyan denomination. I mean, they are egalitarian uh, yeah. in many ways to the core. Now, cards it on the table. It wasn't you know. for all, for all time. Actually, I mean, it, uh, it 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 did in one sense begin that way. John Wesley he didn't ordain, but I think he he raised up people like Sarah Crosby and and Phoebe Palmer, and there's a whole history yeah. of women who began these yeah. women led bands and, and, and uh classes and all these other things that were part of the methodist structure that and that so john wesley so made, sort of a radical egalitarian sent them off as, as you know wandering preachers mm-hmm. you know so they weren't officially ordained but john wesley pretty much used women yeah, and as so leaders it, and preachers, and so it's always kind of been in the Wesleyan history um, that that's that that's been a part of it, um, but but it didn't uh, it didn't happen without a fight, I don't think, and it did sure. move into a certain direction where um, it it's actually funny that the Wesleyan here here's something about the we mentioned the Mars Hill documentary with Mark uh, uh, docu series with Mark Driscoll, and that is a, a complete argument for the egalitarian movement in one sense to say like here's where a complementarian theology just went off the rails and turned into a rape culture okay um but one of the things that mark driscoll interestingly was was fighting against was wesleyans (laughs) it was the wesleyan church that he was so uh opposed to because of how feminine it seemed to him and i don't want to give any credit to mark driscoll in this regard nor should you nor should i however there is something to be said, I think, about the quote-unquote feminization of church movement, and I should be very careful with my language here. But I do think that the church has to reckon with the fact that its attendance today in North America is predominantly women by a, a vast majority, and men are leaving the church at an alarming rate. And secular movements and atheist societies and skeptic societies are increasingly male-driven. And it raises a certain question for me about, uh, again, where as egalitarians, as people who say we affirm women in ministry, we affirm women in, in all kinds of leadership roles and believe just that equality is something that, that expands beyond the, the limits of the, the church even, um, we, need to, we need to think more about what we mm. mean by men and women and is there a difference there and does it matter i i I, again i've just noticed that this movement can roll quickly into areas where if you're not careful with it you're going to have trouble defending even things like why do we call god god the father okay and these debates have happened and are happening and some people roll their eyes and go, that's ridiculous. Of course, God the Father is God the Father. But if you are following this sort of framework as far down as you know, if you, it, it takes some thought, it takes a little bit of work to, to recognize, then why are those titles still important? And I believe they are. And I believe that, that this, again, where the debate doesn't work for me between the two. I do believe men and women complement each other, hence the name complementarian. I'm radically in favor of the Bible's equality of, of a kingdom ethic that says men and women can 
can absolutely give themselves to each other in ways of, of leadership. So I'm not trying to give a clear answer. I'm giving, I'm, I'm trying to give maybe people, uh, certainly in the Wesleyan context, who this is their history, who are egalitarian, who believe this, some things to think about in terms of uh, what do we now say about the human being? What is our nature? What is it to be a man? What is it to be a woman? And is there a place to talk about those as different? Maybe that's a good place for us to wrap up for today and mm-hmm. maybe even set ourselves up for, do we need to think about these issues of, uh, of gender, uh, sexuality, how it connects to theology? Maybe that's another podcast for us to Oh, I'm consider, sure it's one we'll, we'll have uh, to touch misogyny on Misogyny and, and such. Absolutely. Um, yeah, I, I was just reading something, you know, as, as the pastor of recovery, I, I want to be in touch with many things. I've just been reading a book about sexual addiction and, and the way it talks about yeah. how that connects to misogyny is very disturbing, but I think Absolutely. relevant to a lot of what we're saying too. So maybe that's something else we talk about in another time. We will definitely talk about that. I, th- I think that's, cool. a, that's a podcast that's going to have to happen. Well, that's been great. Join us next time on The Deep Dive for Absolutely. more theology conversations. Thanks, Colin. <laughs> Thanks, Ben. Thank you.